Hello and welcome to the Dis Dump Podcast. This is the show where we watch movies, play games, or listen to music in an effort to decide, are we going to keep the disc or are we going to dump it? Today, I am joined by Ryan from the Coolness Chronicles. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you doing, sir? I am all right. Thank you for asking. So today, I subjected you to something less than pleasant. We watched the Nightmare on Elm Street remake from 2010. But first... A Brief History. For those of you who don't already know, which I assume is a very small percentage of people who probably don't like horror movies, Freddy Krueger is the main character villain of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise that was originally created by Wes Craven in 1984. Robert England starred as Freddy Krueger and he captured the imagination of many millions of people. Uh, he plays a serial killer specter monster thing that uh, attacks teenagers in their sleep. And the more you think about him, the easier it is for him to penetrate your mind and kill you in your dreams. But apparently if you wake up from your dream and you're hanging on to him, you can pull him into the real world where you can kill him. So that's how you defeat Freddy, even though they do it every time and it never actually defeats him. There have been so many movies. But in 2010, Michael Bay decided to remake the movie. The remake starred Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger. So he uh, he is definitely not the same kind of character. They took all the funny one-liners and wit out of Nightmare on Elm Street to do a gritty reboot. This episode is all about that gritty reboot, and we kind of tear some holes in it. It's definitely not hailed as a great movie, but we might be a little harder on it than it needs to be. Definitely form your own opinion and check it out, but uh, you'll see exactly how we feel about it right now. So, um, from what I understand, you didn't love the movie. No, wasn't crazy about it. Uh, <laughs> I I was not as mad about it as other people are on the internet. I like I went over to to Letterbox to kind of check and kind of like feel it out and saw a lot of half stars, which is surprising. You don't see that very often unless it's like a, a movie that's on Mystery Science Theater. Like half a star, that's a little extreme. I wouldn't yeah. give it that low, but you know I wouldn't go above. I don't know one. <laughs> yeah I, I hear you i uh i didn't think it was the worst movie i've ever seen in my life but it wasn't good at all oh god no <laughs> there were like so what i found really improves the horror movie watching experience is if you sit really close to your tv like maybe even your laptop and you wear headphones that makes everything 10 times better so the only real nice thing i have to say about this movie is the audio quality was pretty good <laughs> that 5.1 man oh oh so yeah. good <laughs> yeah and and they use it a lot too they really give that soundtrack a workout there's not a single second of this movie that isn't fucking making noise 
<laughs> That's true. The uh, every, every time he like laughs and stuff, it like spins around your head and shit. So that was pretty cool. But like the CGI leaves a lot to be desired. The the story does. Um, but you're a big like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street fan in general, right? Yes, I love uh, the first one. I love the third one, and I love New Nightmare. Like those, okay. like if you were to make those a trilogy, I think that you would have a hell of a trilogy in terms of like the other movies in the series. Not so much. Is the the third one's Dream Warriors, yes, it right? Is. And I didn't even I like, like it one. until I watched it last night at 2 a.m. And let me tell you, Ooh. when it's 2 a.m. and you're you're trying to uh, wash the terrible taste out of your mouth with this movie, uh, number <laughs> three really does the trick. It surprisingly right has aged very well, like a fine wine, but a fine yeah. <laughs> wine in which somebody has fingers made out of syringes. That's my favorite one in the series, I think, is the Dream Warriors one, because they had that like original soundtrack that's like hair metal. It's Dream Warriors. Oh, my God. I love that shit. <laughs> yeah. So this movie did not have anything cool about it, particularly. This was like one of the movies in the Michael Bay reboot era of like 2006 through 10 the one that starts with texas chainsaw and then kind of gets worse from there as it goes along yeah <laughs> exactly the bay verse no one wants the michael bay cut that's all i'm saying <laughs> it, it would just be well first of all it would be three and a half hours because he's never made a short movie in his life and it would have a lot more shots of rooney mara's butt cheeks just like a lot more yes <laughs> at least 80 percent so which one's Rooney Mara? She is Nancy. Nancy. And that was the waitress? Yes. Yes, the waitress. The main yes. girl. From uh, Social Network, from Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, uh, Academy Award nominee for Carol. Uh, she's Ooh. in Lion. I I'm going to go out on a limb here and say something that might be daring or maybe even controversial. Rooney Mara is a good actor. Maybe even pretty good. <laughs> Okay, right on. I I mean, I didn't know that she was in uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. I think I've seen that one, like the remake one, the American yeah, one. Yeah, that's the, that's the one she's in. She's the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, okay. Yeah, not my favorite movie, the American remake. So she definitely wasn't the worst part of this movie. She was all right. No, she's, I mean, I the, the cast, such as it is, is not terrible. I mean, like, Kellen Lutz, okay, sure, but he gets killed 10 minutes in, so that's fun. You get that out of the way. <laughs> and everybody else in it is fine. I mean, like, Clancy Brown, always good. Connie Britton, always good. Uh, I miss John Saxon. I can say that much for sure, but <laughs> Jackie, Early, Jackie Earl Haley, not a bad, bad guy. He's just not close to Robert England. He's definitely not Robert England, and it really like every time he was speaking, it felt like he was reading. Yes, and he's he's adding a little too much theatrical flourish to it. Like he's taking lines mm. that are very perfunctory and very like, okay, there's one way to read this and make it sound spooky, and then he goes for the other way, which is just, uh, just does bad. not exactly work. <laughs> no, like when he kills Rufus the dog, he's like, I was just betting him. It's like, ooh, you you nailed that one the wrong direction. <laughs> and by the way, a uh, great pun. Uh it's fantastic. Just pay oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, right. Oh, it's oh, so man. witty. Oh. Highlight of the movie. Oh, <laughs> right. <this> fucking movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> so like you said the the cast isn't bad like this movie has all of the elements of success it had a decent budget the actors weren't bad the writing could have been better but where do you think they went wrong with this movie well first off i think going the remake route instead of the reboot route is a mm-hmm. very clear mistake i still haven't watched all of the new friday the 13th the 2009 one but from what I understand, mm-hmm. it pulls from all these different eras of Jason and then kind of like merges them into this weird unholy Cronenberg monster. And I think that pretty much that would have been a better way to go, because if you're watching this movie, you've seen it before. You've literally seen right. the scenes done better with less money and with more creativity. Mm-hmm. It sets you up for this kind of like, well, that didn't live up to this one specific movie. Now, if you build out the universe and you do something that pays tribute to all the different eras of Nightmare on Elm Street, I think that you probably could have a franchise. Right. Yeah, that would have been better. Like, the fact that it, like, some parts of it are almost shot for shot, what the original was, and the the idea of keeping the same story was definitely a flub on their part, for sure. Because, like, the, the Friday the 13th one, which I thought was done pretty effectively, not a great movie, but pretty well made overall, what they did with that one was they took the first three movies and made it one movie. That's right, because he doesn't get the hockey mask until the third one, so they kind of, like, compress all right. that time from one, two, and then kind of, like do it that way yeah one is like three minutes of the movie is the original one since jason's not in it nobody cares yeah. about that one. <laughs> so, but in the 13th episode of this show actually uh what my buddy and i did was we stayed up all night for and all day the next day like we spent at least two full days watching friday the 13th movies and then we went and saw that one at midnight in the theater and that was pretty dope but i think it also affected how much i enjoy the movie <laughs> so it's probably objectively not a good movie yeah, but it's probably I like not it. fair to put so, all the movies that you will definitely like a lot more right up until the end then go and now <laughs> impress me fucker come on let's do this what you got and then that's yeah. the best thing it's kind of like oh well <laughs> Yeah, that's that's why you don't watch like all the Marvel movies before you see the next one, because there's some really good ones and you just can't assume they're all going to be yeah, really they good. Can't, you they know? can't all be Thor the Dark World. That's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like there are a few cool moments in this movie, though, I got to say, like overall bad movie but they're like i liked the sound was good but the scene like the iconic scene where johnny depp gets eaten by the bed and it throws up blood everywhere is crazy in the original and they went the opposite route where the blood spit the girl out into the bed so that was different didn't see that coming if they if since they're making a remake why they didn't keep the most iconic scene and i don't ironically understand. well i guess not ironically but i like using that word the scene in which Katie Cassidy from Arrow gets uh, psychically attacked by Freddy and he's throwing her around the room. It's I don't have you seen Scary Movie mm-hmm. 2? The scene where uh, yes. Tori Spelling <laughs> has sex with the ghost. Yeah, that's it's that scene being thrashed around it. And I started laughing like halfway through because they started making all these bonking noises. She keeps going bonk, yeah. bonk. And I'm like, OK, I'm not. Come on. Really? <laughs> and I didn't like seeing Katie Cassidy die because I've already seen her die on Arrow and I wasn't a fan of it. So I don't want to see her die again. That's not fair. Yeah. I mean, granted, this was before Arrow started, but still. 
Yeah, I uh, I never got into Arrow myself. My sister really likes it, so I like tuned in for a few episodes. But like Deathstroke being in it, I was like, oh shit, I might be into this show. And then he like shoots a gun at all of them and misses all of them so many times. I'm like, ah, I don't care about this show because he's supposed to be like ultimate assassin murderer man. And I was like, okay, well, plot armor must be pretty thick on these ones. Anywho. <laughs> This is an allegory for the Pied Piper, which I guess I didn't necessarily realize until they spelled it out directly in front of my face in it this movie. You know what I mean? It would have landed a lot better if this movie starred a bunch of cartoon mice. So I guess they missed yeah. the opportunity <laughs> with that one. Because you could easily make this with the mice from Cinderella, and it would totally work. Especially Gus Gus. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Never even thought of that. Um... So yeah, like the the acting, I don't, I can't understand why the acting is bad because I've seen almost all of these actors and other things yeah. and they were half decent. Yeah, like, I mean, Thomas you know Decker, saying? he was John Connor on TV for a while. Not terrible. Not a, not, mm-hmm. not a bad show. Not a bad performance. You have Rooney Mara, who, as I've said, is okay as an actor. I'm just kidding. She's great. Uh, Jack mm-hmm. Earl Haley. I mean, he's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Katie Cassidy. I wouldn't call her like a thespian, but she's not a bad actor. Kellen, let's let's move on from that. Uh, and, you know, like uh, <laughs> you got uh, Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown is the you shit. Got the Kurgan in this movie. And he's yeah. he, he's good, he's, <laughs> but he's not given anything to do. Same with Connie Britton. She's given one good scene. I really thought that Clancy Brown was going to be in it more, but he just basically is like, now you'll be quiet, kids. Yeah. And that's the it, whole <laughs> that's this be whole so thing much better if you give him the John Saxon role and let him be kind of like the authority figure that failed these children. Not exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. He's he's I mean, just in terms of like genre cinema and in terms of like voice acting alone, he's that man is everywhere. He's Mr. Krabs. Huge. Like, mm-hmm. come on, utilize the guy better. Yeah. <laughs> Let him, like... You ever see the show uh, yes. Carnival? Yeah. Did you watch that on HBO? Yeah, he was an excellent bad guy in that. So, I like, when I saw he was in it in the opening credits, I was like, oh, my boy's in it. And then he he really wasn't all that And I didn't it, even so. have him once go, money, 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 money. <laughs> I wish they did. That would have made the movie a hundred times better. Um, So refresh my memory it's been a hot minute since i've seen the original nightmare movies you just watched them was he a pedophile in the original ones or did they do that just to make him creepier in supposedly in wes craven's original draft that's what he was and then bob shea the owner of new line was like no no we're not doing that and he said okay how about he kills kids and the guy's like yeah all right let's green like that that's better like (laughs) pedophilia to murder just like they're i mean they're very close on the spectrum they're not exactly like completely diametric opposites but it changed it enough that like i mean they made dolls of freddy krueger just consider that they made dolls of a Mm -hmm. child murderer and sold them to children so i I mean i don't know how that like makes it any better but yeah that is it was always inferred in those movies that he didn't just kill them, that he abused them as well, but it was never explicitly said until now. And like, I liked the version, like the points of this movie where Freddie was like a normal person and you kind of were like, was he a molester? And the kids are like, he definitely wasn't. And it's like, yeah, but then all of a sudden midway through the movie, you remember him molesting you. So like it, that was kind of, 
uh, a serious balance and I issue. Think that if they actually the stuck with this whole uh, you murdered an innocent man thing, I think you would have had something a mm-hmm. lot more interesting than what you got. But I think that as it is, it uses yeah. molestation as a plot point in a way that is disgusting and in a way that is upsetting and not like in a valuable way, but upsetting in a why did you uh, profit off of people's misery? for your stupid reboot slasher. Like of all the things you could have done, yeah. this is not terribly ethical and granted it's new line cinema. So ethics are not exactly in their wheelhouse, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's distasteful in a way that I don't find mm-hmm. pleasant at all. Yeah. If, if they had stuck with the, he was innocent the whole time, it would make sense why he's so angry. It would make sense why he came back in general. And it would make the audience, the audience is still scared of him, quote unquote, if you're thinking in horror movie terms, like he's still a clearly a bad, bad, bad dude, but it would have given exactly. And it would have had an actual moral lesson in it, not to jump to conclusions, but instead they were just like, yep, he's a toucher. He's a bad one. We're going to kill him like cool, I guess. All right, whatever. But it it definitely was borderline offensive, like especially since he had a little molester nook in his bedroom. Like if he's going to be molesting kids, why would you like, I don't know. It just seems predatory the way that they made it. He could have been a vengeful spirit. That's that's a way to make it interesting because people generally who like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies they don't like them because of their objective quality. They like them because they enjoy the character. So he's somebody that has connected mm-hmm. with people, despite the fact that all he does is murder children. And people love that character. And I think in order, if you're really trying to to build this out and make something more than just this one standalone film, then just make him a character that is actually sympathetic. Make him a character that people want to invest in. And if you want to make him innocent... I don't think that that's such a bad idea. I mean, it makes sense that he would go after these kids of the parents that murdered him for not doing anything to them. I think that makes it a little more complex. But unfortunately, that's every single time you look at what they could have done to make it more complex or make it more interesting. They really kind of just deviated and did the derivative thing. Mm hmm. The the very coolest part of the movie I'm going to spoil right now is when they're having the micro naps. I thought that was done pretty effectively, like her, them, him like dancing in and out of their reality. And then when he like runs his claws down the shelf in the drugstore and the shelf like explodes and all the stuff comes off of it. That was my favorite part of the movie. And it is not a part of the movie anybody thinks of when they think of this movie. Yeah. So it must not have left the kind of impact on everybody when else. People think of this me. movie. They think, Oh, they made that. Oh, okay. That, that's about as much as they think about yeah. this movie. <laughs> I go, oh, right. I remember that coming out. Yep. I've sug- I've suggested doing this episode with other people who are really into horror. They're like, can we talk about something good? <laughs> so everyone generally has the same opinion that this is a shit movie and nope. they're not wrong. Like I didn't catch half the characters names and I was like studying this shit. Like I was watching it with a critical eye and like the, the blonde girl from arrow. I didn't catch her name the whole movie. She's, I, uh, no idea. I think in the credits, she's listed as blonde girl from arrow. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um hmm. 
I don't have a whole lot to say about this movie, to be honest. I do like, have, it's, it's... Uh, like maybe two or three points. Uh, so okay, first, I want to hear him. I don't know why Freddy looks like Supreme Leader Snoke, but he has he like the missing does. part of his cheek. He has the weird kind of like burn scarring, but it's not like classic Freddy. It's like like actual burn victim. He looks malformed, mm-hmm. basically. He has like dentures that he kind of puts in to make his face a little more fuller. But then when he pulls them out, like that cheek kind of sucks in like that. It's pretty cool that they were able to do yeah, those I mean, effects, it's, though. Uh, it's uh, it's clearly way more CGI than practical, which is fine. Computers, by their very mm-hmm. nature, are not bad. Uh, and then also, it says a lot that Wes Craven was able to make something as iconic and indelible as not just that character is, but that first movie is. And he's like perhaps the last true horror legend to kind of permeate popular culture. The last time that anybody created mm-hmm. a character completely out of his own consciousness that children know who've never seen a movie, that if you put a mask on on Halloween, everybody knows who you are. And he basically made that movie with $20 and Band-Aids and chewing gum and put it all together. And he right. made something that is so amazing. And this has like Michael Bay. It has a uh, photographer slash cinematographer's eye who's directing the movie, who's never directed since, by the way, that should say something. And you have all this kind of like money and all these, uh, all this investment, all these relatively, I guess, more well-known people than anybody in the original movie. And there's really nothing about it, as you said, that's memorable, except for like that, that one scene. Like that's, that says a lot. That probably says more about the movie than maybe anything. The director of this was a cinematographer and a photographer who he pulled out of photography to direct this movie and he never did it again. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't the right guy, clearly. <laughs> yeah, this this movie really dropped the ball in a lot of ways. Like they're stabbing each other with pure adrenaline at one point. Isn't that just an EpiPen? Like uh uh well an EpiPen, I mean it uh, is it adrenaline? I mean, my brother's uh, my brother has a peanut allergy, so we have EpiPens all around the house. But if if that's pure adrenaline, I'm going to be start taking those things. I was going to say, stab them. yourself in the leg and let us know. Yeah. <laughs> I will become point break and then I'll become 100 percent pure adrenaline. <laughs> um well audience i think that this is probably a pretty decent time for us to take a brief break and we will be right back Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skin care, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all of your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skin care needs. Find your favorite brands like... Ultimate, New Face, Olaplex, and more all in one place with gifts that come with every purchase. Right now, the Skin Store is offering our listeners 20% off of your next purchase by using the code POD. That's P-O-D for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod dot list. 
Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. Hello, we're the Good Robot Andy's podcast. And what exactly do we do, Andy? We talk about movies. We talk about movies with spoilers. Yes, we do. What else do we do? We talk about uh, TV, we talk about games, philosophy and life. And where can you find us? You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you there. Hello, everybody. I was really enjoying the conversation that I had with Ryan from The Coolness Chronicles. Thank you, Ryan, for doing this episode with me. I really appreciate you. You guys should definitely check it out. Uh, He has a totally unique show, unlike any show I've ever heard. I'm going to be on his show uh, pretty soon after this comes out. I don't know when he's going to release it. But I'm going to be on an episode of The Coolness Chronicles talking about the disc dump and hopefully a little bit of Toast of the Realms, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so thank you, Ryan, for doing this episode with me. I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to talking to you again real soon. So, audience, if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me, discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little PP in there. It's important. All the social medias you can find me if you just type in The Disc Dump Podcast. Uh, sometimes you won't be able to find me if you just type in disc dump because the world is weird and it's a a C by the way, if you didn't notice it in all the places that you've just read it to get to this point it is D I S C anyway. Um, so I have a couple shout outs to give number one shout out is to Michael a Harris. Yes. Once again, I'm giving you a shout out because you're extremely active on my social media and I appreciate that. And, uh, he seems like he pretty much really liked this movie. And another person who also enjoyed this movie is Tanner Carmen. Uh, thank you, Tanner, for also participating in the discussion. Uh, like, like I said, there are worse movies out there. It's not that bad. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening to the show. One last thank you to Mr. Zachary Cloyd for producing today's episode. One last plug, I just want you guys to check out the new podcast that's coming out soon called Toast of the Realms. Toast of the Realms is our new live play D&D podcast that I am publishing very soon, I think. We're going to have the first episode out very, very soon. And uh, social media is now active, so if you guys could go to the social media, Toast of the Realms, all one word on social media, maybe like Facebook and stuff, it'll be more than one word, but either way, type in Toast of the Realms, hopefully we will be the first thing that you see, like our pages, we would appreciate it. If you like D&D, if you don't know if you like D&D, if you like radio dramas, if you're just interested in nerd culture or even just like hearing a good story, if I do say so myself, I think we've compiled a pretty good one and uh, we just sit and we roll some dice, we role play and uh, collaboratively tell a story. So it's not just me writing the story, we're all working together and paving our way through this D&D 5e adventure. Alrighty, audience, let's get back to talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. I just have written really big slashing the shelf was the best part. And, uh, 
it just there's nothing like the micro sleeps are pretty well executed all right so let me just say this the first half of the movie fucking sucks it's terrible 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 but the movie does get better as the momentum gets going because freddy's like gathering his strength and he's not killing everyone outright right away so he has to like torment them to get stronger and stuff i don't think that was poorly done but it definitely could have been better but like the setting that everyone was in and stuff was pretty true to the original and just the dreaming state of things i didn't think was poorly done except for like maybe one or two parts what do you, did you like the the like the setting and the dream sequences and stuff i think that it has enough interesting visuals in it that i can't say that it is without merit like as mm-hmm. in, entirely without merit as a film it speaks to the fact that the director is a photographer that he's done music videos because music videos require you to have a very clear aesthetic because you're only telling you're telling a fraction of a story but you have you have only 3 minutes to do it and it has to match the song that you have mm-hmm. so it requires a lot of kind of like visual power unfortunately i don't think that that makes you a storyteller i think that, that makes you a stylist it makes you just a visual stylist and where this movie suffers is not in how it looks. I think it looks fine. The dream mm-hmm. sequences are inventive enough. The one where she's surrounded in ash with the burnt classroom, mm-hmm. I thought looked really kind of visually significant. I think the scene where the girl is in the uh, classroom that's flooded, like up to her ankles, yeah, looks good. The, the way that the water reflects off the light. And I think that there are scenes that are almost just entirely green, in a way that reminded me of Seven, like that kind of sick, kind of like queasy feeling. And I think that's, if the movie was as good as its visuals, I think that people wouldn't be disappointed because it looks pretty. It's Mm -hmm. undeniably a pretty film. Especially for an 11-year-old movie. Like, they clearly had the budget to make something special. And the visuals are the visuals and the audio were very well executed, except for like the scene where he comes crawling out of the the wallpaper. That was pretty dumb. But it's not bad. It's not poorly made. So the the fact that it had big shoes to fill and it tried to fill them instead of getting a new pair of shoes. That's definitely where this movie lacked. Yeah. Because like the plot in general is good. It's a good plot. The way they, they tell the plot and the way that the actors execute the acting. Like, I, I'm not an actor. I can't say I'd do it better. But I'm pretty sure that the right director could have made this movie something special, even though it was a remake. Yeah, this movie is, to borrow the shoe metaphor, it's a pair of bowling shoes. <laughs> Somebody's been in them before. It wasn't properly cleaned out. They're too big for you. <laughs> that's what this movie is and i think that's what the friday the 13th and the texas chainsaw massacre did better was yes they kept the original story in general but they tweaked it enough that it really feels like a different movie completely and this feels like a different movie for all the wrong reasons like the guy who plays freddy needs to be able to execute lines like that is the primary objective of freddy you need all the dad jokes you can handle in there that are about murder and rape like that that is just kind of how freddy is so the fact that you took a guy who was fresh out of watchmen who was very good in watchmen i thought but you're asking him to like 
I don't know. The the way that he just reads the lines uh, is bad. It felt like he just did it for the money, not that he was intending to franchise this shit. Yeah, and he never calls anybody bitch that I recall. And although I'm not a fan of that word, that is very much Freddy's word. Yeah. He calls everybody bitch. He doesn't call mm-hmm. a single person bitch. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Uh, but I think to to your point about Texas Chainsaw is a movie that I don't like, but what it seemed to have gotten in terms of the remake reboot kind of spectrum is okay, so we have a chainsaw, we have Leatherface, we have the old creepy house, we have teenagers or people in their early 20s that are going to get murdered. That was kind of where they kept the original kind of in the DNA, and then the rest of it was kind of, we're going to do something else, it's not going to be very good, but at least it's going to be what we want to do with this property. Oh, I love that movie. I think it's very good with Jessica Biel. (laughs) It's better than uh, than what's the one Texas Chainsaw 3D. I'll, Ooh, I'll yeah. give it that. That's possibly <laughs> one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life. That was pretty bad. That was pretty that bad. That movie's a hate crime. <laughs> Crimes against humanity. <laughs> Texas Chainsaw <Yeah>. 3D. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that one. And I like Texas Chainsaw the beginning. I thought those ones were good. But every other one is terrible. So, it, but anyway, like th- that's another Michael Bay production. Even like the Halloween remake kind of held up a little better than this one did. Like this one being the bottom of the barrel is sad because what most people like about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is that he's creative about the way that he kills people. There's times where he turns people into marionettes and drops them out of windows and shit. And none of that happened. It was just like, I'm in your dreams. I throw you around. I slash you. You're dead. And they constantly change what you can do in a dream. Mm -hmm. And what, like what, not just what he can do to you, but in terms of what your dream looks like in terms of, what your skill set is in your dream. Like that's the best thing about Nightmare on Elm Street 3 is that each of the kids in it, they have a specific thing that they can do. Like the kid in the wheelchair can walk and he can conjure magic spells. You have the the girl who's really, uh, she's very internal and she's very uh, nervous, but then she's completely in charge of her element and she can like fight back with him. And she she even stabs Freddy, which does not happen very often in these movies. In terms right. of like physically inflicting pain upon the guy who's physically inflicting pain on other people. And this is just kind of like, no, in your dreams, it looks creepy. You walk right. backwards in your dreams. That's that's what you do. Or you run into the preschool and the preschool is going to look like this. It's going to look like that. It's going to be the preschool, though. And sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it's not cold. <laughs> sometimes it looks blue. Sometimes it looks green. Yep. I, uh, I work in a hospital and the scenes where they're in the hospital and like Freddy is like dragging dead bodies from like all the way at the end of the hallway. That shit's a little creepy because I, I see hallways like that all the time. And like, I kind of live in fear of those moments. Like I do, I'd see people rolling dead bodies pretty regularly, but still like, it's not like that. <laughs> that was pretty, uh, pretty intensely bloody and gory, which is not what I usually see, but and no one the, had a name tag. What the hell is up with that? Yeah, nobody had a name tag. Where are all the scrubs at, (laughs) y'all? I really wanted to like this movie because I often like movies that have bad reviews, but I don't think that even MST3K would, like, fuck with this one, you know? 
No, yeah, this is kind of like it dropped off kind of the the cultural landscape almost as instantly as it came out. Like I remember the discussion when it was being made, all the discussion was was people upset about it being produced because Wes Craven did not get A consulted, B I don't think he really got compensated other than the fact that he maybe gets like a characters created by, which I think is bullshit, but that's always been an issue with New Line. Like mm. the whole time it's always been Thank you, Wes, for creating this character that uh, now makes me and all these other executives rich. But we don't really want to care what you have to say about this character. We're just going to do whatever we want with it. And that's always been an issue. But so fans were upset about that. And then they were upset that Robert Englund was recast. This Mm -hmm. movie is a big budget failure. And there's really no other ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, I I found myself laughing at a few points. Like, just the fact that the character Jesse is wearing eyeliner all the time and a beanie. Like, okay, great. And they just try and make him seem like he's badass. The fact that all of the actors, the youngest one is probably 25, and they're like, we're in high school. Like, (laughs) it's pretty clearly not where they belong. Um People graduate late in Springwood. That's Apparently. Just the case. They don't they don't graduate high school until they're 35. That's Ohio. I mean, I can't I can't explain Ohio to you. That's just that's how it works. There's actually an Elm Street next to where I live. And every day I walk past it, I'm like, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And anyway, stupid wearing a white dress. Yeah. <laughs> Skipping walking. Rope. Walking my dog and she's just looking at me like, what the fuck, dude? Anyway. <laughs> Told you not um, to embarrass me. Come on, man. <laughs> um, the When the parents kill Freddy, they go, this is for my son. Like, okay, I think he knows. Like, he's aware of what he did. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to see them coming and go, what's this all about? What did yeah. I do? <laughs> I'm being persecuted. I'm a white male. I don't deserve this. What's going on here? Is that, I thought this was America. Who's not America? Come on, man. <laughs> the fact that they like went through the whole plot where they're like, okay, we're going to pull him out somehow. We're going to pull him out, even though we've kind of been trying for a while. And then Quentin goes in and he gets just fucked up, immediately just gets fucked up. And then when they do pull him out, their plan was, get him, Quentin. Get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where they learned how, how they were going to do all this. Like very early on, one of the characters says, if you die in your dream, you die in real life. And it's like, A, nobody told him that. No, <laughs> there's not like he went into the dreamscape and he saw a chalkboard and he's like, huh, the three ways that dreams work. One, you die in dream, die in real life. OK, two, <laughs> if we can pull you in, we can pull you out. And then three, get him, Quentin. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah they they are the masters of planning for sure (laughs) oh man um yeah the and like why are they able to share dreams like that doesn't make any sense either even the movie inception like had a a magic machine that nobody knew how it worked but just just going to sleep you're in somebody else's dream like do you think that then that's across all of them though like do you think that is just like you're in freddy's house now I guess like, yeah, like maybe, I mean, isn't that also in Freddy versus Jason where they all like mm-hmm. take the, whatever that medication is to, to fall asleep and then dream. And then they, they're all together in the same place. I guess, I, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> it, it seems like, like if it, to follow kind of like the Marvel comics rule of this stuff where 
even your nightmares are a dimension, like in the Doctor Strange books. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the case, then I guess like that maybe that's where Freddy operates, some kind of like higher than physical plane or something like that. But this movie has no interest in making any of that clear. It's just no. kind of like, no, no, when you dream, you just dream. He's yep. just there. There's a. There... <laughs> and then they like burn down the school at the end. Like, I don't know. It would have been better if they had just burned down the school with him like they did in Freddy versus Jason, like when they flash back to it. Like, putting him in a random warehouse was a bit of a weird call. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that was, like, the one place where they could, like, get a permit to have an explosion. It's like, <laughs> yeah, let's run over here to the to the uh, manufacturing district. It's like, you have a big manufacturing district in Springwood, do you? <laughs> they all got to work somewhere, right? Yeah. And, and was the Clancy... abandoned box factory. Remember that place? Like, no. <laughs> And was Clancy Brown the principal or just a random teacher? I don't I think he was the principal. It's he was not like, clear you know where my office like maybe is. Three scenes. <laughs> right. Yeah. All he says is, you know where my office is. So it implies he works at the school. But that's it. That's all I got. And, oh, and the, no, he does work. He is the principal because they bring her in at the one point and he goes, don't you tell my son what's going on here? Like, huh? Yeah. Anyway. Maybe it's like a janitor's closet and he just likes to call it his office. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what Mr. Krabs has, so that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so the name of my show is The Disc Dump because uh, I have a lot of physical media, DVDs, CDs, whatever. And we're going through them all. We're reviewing them. I'm watching them just to say I've watched them. And then we're deciding if I feel like keeping it or giving it the dump. I don't know if it's on any like, did you watch it on a streaming service? I watched it on HBO Max. HBO has it. Okay. So the fact I also have HBO and I love HBO so much. I I wish they would endorse me because I talk about it all the fucking time. Um, So the fact that it's available online essentially for free for me because I pay for that. It's hard to justify keeping the disc. What do you think? Should I keep it or dump it? So here's where I'm conflicted. And this requires a little bit of explanation. I am a collector. Like, a real collector. I own movies that... They're not movies that I bought and then watched and realized that I hate. I hated them in the theater and bought them anyway. Because I'm that guy. So I think I am too, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I own movies I despise. So, it, it depends. Does the, does the disc have any uh, features on it? nothing of note there's like trailers for the movie and then director commentary and that's about it okay and he's not a very good director so i really don't care what he has to say about the movie so the fact Mm. is though that i have all of the friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street and halloween movies so the reason i bought this was i knew i didn't like it but i bought it because it completed the collection okay you have the uh do you have them on dvd or on blu-ray all on DVD. Okay. All right. Dump it. Dump it. It's kind of where I'm at, too, because, like, no one's going to be like, let's have a Nightmare on Elm Street marathon and end it with a remake. No one's going to be like, yay! If you shut it off after uh, after Freddy vs. Jason, and no one in the room is going to go, but there's one more movie! They're going right. to go, oh, but it's that one. Okay, never mind. Eh, yeah, like... Off. 
It may not have been the worst movie I've ever seen. If the internet gives it half a star and you give it one star, I might do one and a half stars. But either way, not worth keeping. Um, so, but your thing is bad movies. You like bad movies a lot. And, uh, your podcast is about mystery science theater, right? Yes. So, uh, my show, the coolness Chronicles is a, uh, subjective pop culture history tour where I take a subject and I go so deep into it that I, I come out the other end and mm-hmm. it is a kind of a serialized storytelling, uh, show where I start in, 1972 with the movies that influenced mystery science theaters concept. And then I take it through the show itself. And then I go all the way to the end while so look at the movies that they make fun of, or look at the movies that uh, influence jokes and all that kind of stuff. So that it kind of makes it a little more well-rounded and brings the context to it. It's not nearly as mechanical as I just made it sound. I made it sound like the most fucking boring thing in the world. It's not boring. <laughs> it's fun. It's funny. It's great. And I'm actually, uh, by the time that this, when's this airing? Do you know? Actually, it's going to be about th- two or three weeks from now, probably three weeks. Okay, so when this drops, I will have started the last two seasons of the show, the ones that are on Netflix right now. And mm-hmm. then in June, that's the end of this part. And then it'll kind of become a banner and I'll do seasons all about different things. Right on. Yeah, because... It seems like I listened to the first episode and you did a lot of research and it is clear how much energy and effort you put into the show. And that's absolutely admirable and it comes out in the quality of your show. So I think it actually is a very good show. I had no idea the cultural significance of Mystery Science Theater 3000, but you uh, you taught me some shit, which I appreciate. Uh, And I also do a podcast called Reels of Justice where... We take a movie every week and we put it in a fake movie trial where we have a judge, Hmm. a jury, a defender, a prosecutor, and we determine if a movie is guilty or innocent of being a bad movie. And we've had nine or ten MST3K cast members and writers on the show, uh, far more than I've had on my show. So I'm just a little bit jealous. Uh, But (laughs) we've had like we've had Traceable You, Frank Conniff, uh, Deanna Rooney, Tim Ryder. Uh, Emily Marsh, who's now the host of the uh, the touring version of MST3K. A lot of stuff. Very cool, man. I had no idea. So I'm definitely going to check that one out, too, because that's a hilarious concept for an episode of a show. So right on. And uh, I imagine if this was on uh, on trial right now, it probably wouldn't go so good for Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. It depends how passionate the defender is because i always go for not necessarily if a movie's guilty or not but if somebody actually made a good case so if somebody came in and they like proved how this was in the lineage of true foe movies and how that it speaks to the human condition and all that arts artsy fartsy shit then i would totally mm-hmm. let it pass right just to okay. be nice just i mean yeah there there are some redemptive elements of the movie but not enough no so God, no. yeah <laughs> so i'm definitely going to give this one the dump so i'm going to go through my reads here at the end and then if you could think of something you'd like to recommend to the audience it can be anything it could be be nice to someone it could be check out this episode of mystery science theater 3000 it could be hug your mom like you, you can literally recommend anything to the audience so i'm going to okay. give you a minute to think about that and i'm going to roll through this <clears throat> I want to say thank you to the band The Jazz Gene for the use of the song Viva La Speed Metal off of the album The Medicine. They are a very good band. They got me through some hard times, legitimately. Probably the only band that had a huge emotional impact on me. That would be The Jazz Gene. Check them out. 
I also want to say thank you to the Fat Rat for the use of the song Unity. He just passed 200,000 downloads. He's on fire. Things are going really well for him. Check it out on YouTube. On uh, If you want to email me, you can email me, discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget the PP in there. It's important. Twitter at the Disc Dump, Instagram, Facebook. You got it. Just type in the Disc Dump. You'll find it. On Facebook, there's a group. Make sure you join that because that's where all the fun conversations and stuff have. Alrighty, what are you going to recommend to the audience, good sir? Well, I was going to recommend be nice to each other, but I don't care about anybody in this world. So I'm going to recommend <laughs> that you watch Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. It's That's really good. I was amazed by how much I was enjoying it. And granted, I was a little high. <laughs> I hear you, man. Awesome. Alrighty, audience. Until next week. Toodles. Toodles.